Hey guys, Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star newspaper and KansasCity.com. Thank you for tuning in for the fourth episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. We're still in the experimental phase, particularly with the delivery. We'll get to that toward the end of the show. But I I just wanted to say again, thank you so much for listening, for taking the time to uh, to give us a chance. It's a really fun show today. Jarrett Sutton and Corey Wacknoff, two guys that you may know, especially Jarrett, played basketball at Missouri. Oak Park grad, and uh, they have an idea. They put in some work trying to get an NBA team to Kansas City. I have long been a skeptic of that idea, but they are starting to change my mind just a little bit, and I wanted to to give them a chance on here to talk about everything that they've been doing. You guys, I miss sports. I know you're probably the same way. I miss, I find myself missing just the background music of a baseball game on at night. I find myself missing the idea of, you know, buying four tickets to whatever next Saturday's home game and playing at a tailgate with the kids. I miss the, the basketball tournament. Obviously I miss golf tournament. I, I miss so much the, the big stuff, the moments and all that stuff. But you know, I also find myself thinking about like the memory that aren't being made and yeah like I I feel like those are the things that kind of keep us coming back to sports is that you never know when a memory is going to be made you never know what it's going to be you just know that if you hang around this thing long enough you're going to get one and I don't know, man. Maybe this is corny. I hope you'll give me a minute. But I, I keep thinking about this story. One of the many reasons why I fell in love with sports. I have the same birthday as George Brett, uh, May 15th. Obviously, we are a few years apart. But every year for my birthday for a time, uh, we would go to a Royals game on or pretty close to my birthday. And I remember at least once where we went and we always had good seats because, you know, my dad uh, bought the tickets as soon as the schedule came out. And so we were in the first row down the right field line, like past first base, not to the third base or not to the right field pole, you know, maybe a little bit closer to first base than, than the foul pole. Um, anyway, uh, I remember them singing on that day, uh, happy birthday to George Brett, you know, between innings and, and my parents, you know, like when it was every, the whole stadium was singing happy birthday, dear George, and my parents, it's happy birthday, dear Sam. It was a really, it, it was a great moment, a great day. And I promise you guys that this is true. George Brett comes up and he hits a foul ball down the right field line and it is going right toward us. I was, at least in my mind, I was probably, I was eight. Maybe I was younger, maybe I was older. I had a glove and a hat. The ball's coming again, it's right toward us. I can't really reach over, but my dad does. He doesn't have a glove. He takes the hat off my head, reaches down to try and grab the foul ball and it's like this moment of like, holy S, like I don't, I didn't know that word, right? Uh, when I was that little, but if I did, that's exactly what I would have said. And I'm like, he just got a ball from George Brett, like on my birthday and on George's birthday. And, uh, he came up and all he had was a hat with a hole in the top. The ball had ripped through the hat. I I remember my dad, I remember me and my dad looking at each other like, both just trying to pretend that we weren't disappointed, you know, like, who am I? I can't expect to get a foul ball, right? And my dad is the 
billionth person to, to, to try and catch a foul ball and miss, right? Like you can't be really devastated at something like that. But obviously we were, we were sad. That would have been such a cool moment. But anyway, so the rest of the game goes by. I don't remember anything else about the game. Who won? Who hit a home run? Whatever. Then fast forward, I don't know, a month, two months, whatever. It's in the summer and <laughs> I'm home, you know, there's no school and I, I go out to get the mail. And I bring it in and, and one of the things that's in there is this big, you know, in my mind, it was like two feet by three feet, but you know, looking back, I think it's probably like eight by 11, uh, manila envelope with the Royals logo as the, you know, on the return address, like the, the, the logo, you know, the crown, the KCR, like all that stuff. And then their address. And it was addressed to Sam Mellinger. So I, I put all the mail down. I don't think anything of that. I should point out because me and my dad have the same name. My son is actually the seventh Sam in our family. We are not creative with the names, but anyway, I, I put the envelope down and my mom grabs it. She's like, Oh, this is interesting. And I was like, why? And she's like, you know, it's from the Royals and it's for you. And I was like, no, it's not. It's for dad. It says Sam. And and she says, you know, like maybe you should, maybe you should open it. And I was like, what? I mean, I'll open mail. Like that was fun as a kid. So I open it and it's a letter and it's Royal Stationery. And I don't remember who it was signed by, but you know, it basically said like, dear Sam, we heard that you're a big fan and we heard that you come out and celebrate your birthday with us every year. And we heard about what happened when you, when you came, you know, a couple months ago, you know, sorry, you didn't get a ball, but hopefully, uh, this will, you know, make your day or something like that. And behind that piece of paper was a five by seven and it was George Brett, like on a knee in front of the scoreboard. And it just said, dear Sam, happy birthday, George Brett. And at that moment, like I, I'm either then and now and anytime in between, I've never been a real big autograph guy, but I just thought that was the absolute most amazing thing in the world that, you know, this thing almost happened at the game and I was bummed. But then, you know, the, the, the major league baseball team, you know, took the time to do this. And George Brett, the Hall of Famer, like took a pen and, 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 and signed that. It was just like such a, cool thing. I still have that picture actually in a desk drawer and uh, the the <laughs> the G is smudged a little bit because one of my buddies told me that it was a fake and the only way to know is if you like lick your finger and see if it's a stamp or not. Total lie, but whatever. And actually a club you may have signed it. I don't know. I actually, I told George this story once and he said that he, he definitely signed it. That he did stuff like that all the time and nobody ever forged his signature but I don't know if that's true or not. But anyway, it was just such a cool moment and it's like things like that that I'm missing, right? Like, I don't know what would happen if the family, if we went to a game, you know, last weekend or this weekend or whatever. And those are the things I'm really bummed about. And those are the things that, that I'm really excited about getting back to whenever we can on the other side of this. I know you've got memories just like that. Let me know what they are. Either email me, smellinger at kcstar.com. Hit me up on Twitter or Facebook. I love reading stuff like this. So please keep in touch that way. I want to hear your favorite memories and, and what you're looking forward to once we get back on this. Okay, thanks again for everybody that, that called in. 816-234-4365 if you want to participate. 816-234-4365. Just leave your first name or where you're calling from and anything you want to talk about. Okay, guys, we just have one question this week, uh, but it's one I think a lot of us can relate to. So keep the questions coming. I love hearing from you, but here we go for this week. Hi, Sam. It's Joel. Uh, I'm in Prairie Village. It's week five of working from home, and uh, I have a little setup in my room 
where if I shut the door, the dog paws and tries to push her way through the open door when it's closed. But then when I leave it open, she doesn't come in. And if I bring her into the room and close the door, all she wants to do is leave. I'm going insane. How do I stop this? Bye. Joel, man, this question speaks to my soul. Um, I feel like you are describing my dog. Uh, I love her to death. Had her for 10 years. Uh, I think she's about 13 now, but she is doing the exact same thing that you're describing with one twist. Even so I'm up in our master bedroom, uh, which has, you know, like the master bathroom attached and everything. If I just get up from my chair to go to the bathroom, that's her signal that she needs to go out like, you know, back downstairs. And then she's up, you know, a minute later because there's a four and a six-year-old running around crazy downstairs. I don't blame her for wanting to come back up. I just don't understand why she can't remember that that's what's happening. And she's best in the bed. You're asking for a solution. And dude, I wish I had one other than a vaccine. (laughs) That's what we need to fix this problem. I think we just need a vaccine. All right. Thank you. Okay, the conversation this week is with Jarrett Sutton and Corey Wacknoff, two Kansas Cityans who are slowly, slowly, slowly uh, pulling me to the idea that Kansas City might actually land an NBA team someday. Okay, here we go. Jarrett, are you there? I'm here. Corey? You got us. Yep. How about that? All right. We did it. First try. Okay, guys. Well, thanks for doing this. I think both of you know, uh, I think I said this to you on the phone, actually, that long been skeptical of Kansas City landing an NBA or NHL team just because there hasn't really been a you know a viable strong group with with local connections but over the last year or so I can't remember exactly when we started talking but over the last year or so I've started to change my mind a little bit just knowing all the work that that you guys are putting in so you know before we before we get started I think it'll help just because this is audio only if you guys uh, just introduce yourselves with with your own voices yeah yeah thank you Sam for having us I really appreciate this uh, my name is Corey Wacknov. My background is, is strictly in basketball. I was a student manager at the University of Kansas for four years, um, spent some time in the front office for the Orlando Magic, and now I work for a local company, a basketball technology company called Shot Tracker. Um, and then that's actually how I met Jarrett about two years ago. And then, uh, Jarrett, you can introduce yeah. yourself too. Yeah, so uh, I'll echo what, what Corey said. Sam, thanks for having us. Uh, really appreciate you giving us the, the time to talk about this endeavor. And, and as Corey said, me and Corey started up this, this thing in, in 2018. And, um, you know, a little background, I played at Missouri, Corey, obviously being a, a Jayhawk, uh, that we have, we've had some long conversations over the years about that, but I uh, played at Missouri 2008, 2012, um, went out to Santa Cruz, California after that worked in the G or excuse me, the D league at the time, now G league, uh, worked for the Santa Cruz warriors of uh, the golden state warriors organization, and uh, did that for about a year and got great experience, came back, uh, started broadcasting and uh, really, you know, wanted to pursue a front office endeavor and a scouting role uh, in particular and was able to catch on with the Brooklyn Nets uh, two years ago uh, and I'm now with the New Orleans Pelicans uh, as a Midwest scout covering the, the Big 12 and Big 10. And uh, obviously being based in Kansas City, being from Kansas City, uh, me and Corey have been uh, able to link up. I was playing pickup at Shot Tracker. I think the first time we met, um, and we just built a relationship over the last few years. Yeah, it'd be a hell of a thing if uh, a Jayhawk and a Tiger make this thing happen, right? <laughs> that's right. That's By right. any means necessary. 
Yeah, right, right. Um, well, I mean, just can you give people an idea um, of just kind of what you guys have done and, and what you're hoping to accomplish? Yeah, so I, I think what we have looked at, um, we started in, in 2018, and it was really in May of 18. I was at the NBA Combine, and um, you know, it, it was in Chicago. And you know, around this time, you're, you're meeting with a lot of executives, right? It's, it's sort of a, um, a big convention of all NBA teams, staffs, um, coaching staffs, front office staff, scouts. Uh, all, all find their way to Chicago, and we do meetings. Uh, obviously, do a lot of the player interview portions of, of that weekend. But I had breakfast uh, with a guy named Bill Branch, um, who works for the Portland Trail Blazers, and uh, Bill's been in the league for a long time. And I sat down with Bill, and we were just, you know, looking to connect. And he starts asking me a lot of questions about Kansas City and uh, the Sprint Center and and the history of the Kansas City Kings, and um, just sort of picked my brain a little bit about the the, the city and just. Um, what it's like as a sports town and if, if the, the, the city is looking at an NBA franchise. And I had put a tweet out there at that time, and I didn't think anything of it, um, as is anything. I, I just it was cool to hear of a, an NBA executive that is very respected around the league. I was really asking about Kansas City and, and actually made a comment that you know, he thinks Kansas City is, is a realistic market if the league were ever to, to decide to expand. That really stood out to me because I respect Bill, I respect his opinion, um, and I know he's very plugged in the league. Um, and after that, you know, he, he really had, had kind of perched my interest of talking about, um, you know, had the city ever looked into this? Um, and after talking with city officials, um, you know, me and, me and Corey really realized that no one has re- uh, realistically pursued the NBA in Kansas City conversation. And me and Corey had spent a lot of time developing a slide deck and, and really looked into the information and the data that's out there um, to really go present to, to people around Kansas City just to see what had been done. Um, we looked at Sprint Center. Uh, we know the city of, of Kansas City has primary responsibility for pursuing an anchor tenant at Sprint Center. Um, that was part of the the the, uh, the contract when Sprint Center opened in 2007. Um, and we've sort of taken that responsi- responsibility upon ourselves. And I think that's been the biggest thing for me and Corey is we're doing this in a way that we know that the passion of Kansas City as a sports town, um, we know that the NBA makes a lot of sense here, and we've heard it from people all over the basketball world. And it starts with Bill Branch. It's, it's, it's actually progressed to other people that have talked about expansion and Kansas City being a market. But we've had real conversations since then, since 20, 2018, and me and Corey have talked before. We've just had so much happen over the last two years, talking with city leaders, prospective owners. We're going to keep those names confidential, but these meetings have gone really well. Um, I think me and Corey have also talked about how we anticipated there being roadblocks along this path, and there have been. Uh, we knew there would be. But it seems like every conversation we have, it just keeps building more momentum. And everybody we speak with can see it. They see the interest. They see Sprint Center. They understand the NBA of where it is now, as opposed to when the Kansas City Kings were here. And they think it's a a real possibility. And so we're trying to do everything we can on our part to make sure Kansas City is a realistic market uh, once the NBA does decide to expand, which we think hopefully will be sometime soon. Yeah, I mean, um, look, like all three of us love Kansas City, right? Um, I assume everybody that's listening to this does as well. But, you know, like when, when you hear about NBA new cities, whether it's an expansion team or a relocation, it, it just always seems like it's Seattle first, you know, Vegas gets mentioned, a few others. Like, What is it about this place, um, you know, that, that makes it a viable market? I mean, you mentioned Sprint Center, but that would need to be heavily renovated. I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. what, what what do the, the people that you're talking to in the league, what what do they like about Kansas City? What what makes us attractive? 
first and foremost, we've heard it from many city officials and higher ups within the NBA. They're the ones telling us unprompted that this is a real thing. That's what Jared said. Um, yeah. Really motivated us to pursue this. But they see they see the district downtown and how um, not a lot of other cities have that cohesive district and and the fan support of Kansas City. Um, some other numbers that we can throw at you that make Kansas City a viable option is that just combining the metropolitan statistical areas of KC and Omaha, we rank 19th in the nation ahead of Denver and Charlotte, Orlando, San Antonio, Portland, Sacramento, and Cleveland, um, other NBA cities, obviously. Um, and I'll throw some other numbers at you. I'm an analytics guy. So um, of counties with a population of at least 500,000, Johnson County ranks 19th per capita in income. And that's um, just behind some counties in New York, D.C., San Francisco, Boston, Seattle. So um, I think we have the financial means to support this team. We have a new footprint in the Midwest that the NBA does not have right now. We're an untapped television market. Um, if you add up the surrounding Midwest cities within three, three, four hours of Kansas City, um, our TV households become four and a half million. And that puts us above Chicago. I know that's not great math. Chicago has some other surrounding um, metropolitan areas. But that puts us in the ballpark of, of a top 10 city TV-wide. Um, we know Vancouver already failed recently. We think other cities like Las Vegas, they have a hockey team. They have the Raiders coming. They have the summer league um, during the summer, obviously. With sports betting, we don't think that that's an untapped TV market. We think that may be saturated already whereas Kansas City in the Midwest is a brand-new market that the NBA has not reached yet. So we think that's the differentiator in Kansas City. Okay. What, what are – I've always kind of looked at it that, you know, the at least in my view, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but just the, the biggest obstacle is, like, there's just no multi-billionaire here just dying to have an NBA team. Is is, is that something you guys are, are, are running into, or what are maybe some, some other obstacles you're trying to face and knock down? Yeah, we, it doesn't have to be one person. Um, it can be a group, obviously, like the Royals were just, um, purchased. But yeah. there are some names in Kansas City, um, that don't necessarily live in Kansas City, but have Kansas City ties or from Kansas City originally. Um, some names that maybe people haven't even heard of or aren't aware of that we've had discussions with. Um, but that ownership group also doesn't have to be local. Four of the five most recent NBA purchases haven't been local. Um, the Rockets were local when they were just purchased, but the Bucks, Clippers, Hawks, and Kings were all purchased by non-local ownership groups, and they've been doing well so far. Okay. Um, you mentioned the Royals group briefly. I mean, did, did that eliminate any candidates for you guys? Uh, funny story. Um, well, yes, we met with John Sherman a year ago, frankly, and at that time we did not know that he was going to be purchasing the Royals. Um, it was a very, very nice meeting. I think John was interested. I think he wanted to learn, you know, what was going on out there. Um, but then that frankly never went anywhere after we had that meeting with John, because obviously he was solely focused <laughs> on purchasing the Royals. Um, but yeah, that, that was a funny story about a year ago. He had another, he had another team to buy. Yeah, that's uh, right. th there's the, the Twitter account, right? If, if people haven't seen it where, um, you know, some, some uniform styles have been kind of thrown around and um, that kind of thing with, with the Monarchs. Um, obviously, an owner would have first dibs on that, right, of, of what to call right. it even. But um, it, what is the purpose of, of, you know, sort of tying in with the market or with the Monarchs and what do you hope to get out of that? Yeah, I think with um, 
you know, the monarch name. You know, obviously you touched on it. The, the team can be named whatever the owner wants. We we prefer it to be the monarchs, um, just to tie in the history of the city. Um, you know, we really uh, we've met with Bob Kendrick, and, and we know the the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum um, has obviously that that right to the monarch name and the logo. Um, but we want to tie that in. We think that's of a benefit to our effort, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, you know, we've met with Bob a couple of times and have been in that 18th and Vine district. And we feel like there's a ton of potential there. I think Bob would say the same thing. And the way we really view that is a practice facility and a G League team. And nowadays, I mean, different than when I was in the D League, now when you look at the G League, a lot of these G League teams are in an actual NBA market. Um, you know, you look at Oklahoma City with the Thunder. It used to be the, the Tulsa Blue or something like that. Now they're in Oklahoma City. Uh, the, the L.A. Lakers have the, the same thing with defenders playing in their practice facility. So that's becoming more and more of a thing. Um, and there's a way to also just, just tie in the city. Um, you know, we've, we've thought outside the box of, of looking at a practice facility um, near the UMKC campus and trying to tie in Billy Donlin's program uh, with the ability to play games in a practice facility with a local college. Um, there, there's an option there we could look at. Um, I think there's there's ways to be creative with it, but we, we really want to focus on the city because it's going to be the city's team. And there has to be a pull and a tie uh, to to our market and, and what, what that's going to do from a local economic standpoint because um, we know we're going to have to build a practice facility. That has to happen. That is staying with the times, competing against, you know, the other 30, you know, 30 teams, 31 teams, hopefully, if the, if the league does ex- 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 extend uh, to 32 teams, that's the way we're looking at it. So there's, again, multiple ways to be creative. I think I would love to have it be the Monarch name. An owner can name it really whatever he wants to name it or, or she, because we're looking at all options there. Um, but I think just tying in that name and just what that represents to the city, I think would be really cool. Yeah, for sure. Um is this, look, like, this was many years ago, um, but I remember uh, Dana Anderson was a big KU booster, and he gave a crap ton of money um, to the football program. And um, and it was right before sort of that 08 housing crisis hit. And and I remember talking to him after that, and he said, like, he's going to you know honor the commitment and all that stuff. He's like, there's no way that, that I would have given that money now if they asked. Uh, I'm just wondering, look, there, there's more important things going on with the COVID-19 pandemic and everything, obviously, but um, is that affecting anything with, you know, on your end and, and specifically with potential owners? Well, I think we're, we're very sensitive to that situation right now because uh, we know that's touching, you know, every aspect of life uh, and it's bigger than sports right now. It has probably halted conversations that we were having and that we, we had ongoing. Um, we were making some pivots that I think were really productive and really positive uh, for driving this discussion, um, not just in Kansas City, but also at the league level, I think would really been uh, a, a benefit to us. But that's okay. Um, we're, we're looking at it as how do we make the most of this opportunity right now? And when I look at it from a league, league perspective, I look, about, look at it from a revenue standpoint, right? And, you know, right now, I think the league is looking at how are they going to pull themselves out from under. And I think every professional league is looking at this, but, um, you know, you've seen some, some staff take salary cuts. Um, you're looking at owners that are kind of, kind of under the spotlight. Um, and that's, I think, leading to possibly owner fatigue. And look, new new TV markets could really help boost television contract negotiations. I think that's, that's the biggest thing I look at. Um, large expansion fees could help with that. And I think the league is looking at being creative. And Adam said early on in this process, um, even when the league suspended the season, 
and conversations that I was just having with different contacts of mine in the league were, you know, don't be surprised if the, the NBA makes some serious changes from here moving forward. And that's not just in the short term, but also in the long term as well. I think they're looking at short-term solutions of how they, they try to save the season. I think players want to finish out this current season. But I think as we move forward, it's going to change the calendar. It's going to change when, when the season begins, the draft, free agency. All these things are being talked about. And you could see some owner fatigue. And you could also see a, a potential sale um, that may have not been up for sale previously, right? That There could be an owner that says, I'm, I'm tapped out. I want to put my, my team up for sale. And there are a few names that we know of that are, are interested in, in pursuing a, a franchise and being an owner and have the means to do that. So there's a lot that can happen. I think it opens the door to some of these conversations as before this, this coronavirus pandemic hit. I think there's a, it's going to open up more discussion from the league, ownership, um, and, and a lot of conversations at the league office level. Yeah. I mean, look, you guys can't control when the, when the league expands, right, or when the team goes up for sale. But, I mean, realistically, um, are you, do you have a timeline in mind? I mean, do, do you think something could happen in a year, in five years, in ten years? What, what are we looking at? Yeah, the timeline that we've had all along is um, within the next two to three years. So this has to be collectively bargained amongst the, um, the players' union and the owners. So the CBA expires in 2023 with an early opt-out in December 15, 2022. So this would have to be collectively bargained, and we believe that the league would want those two new franchises in place before um, the current NBA TV deal runs out after the 24-25 season. So that's kind of the ballpark window that we're looking at, where it would get voted on, collectively bargained, and then those two teams, um, those two new markets are in place to go to, you know, Turner, ESPN, whoever, Amazon, whoever else is at the table for those uh, TV rights deals. Yeah. Okay. Um well, it sounds cool, man. Like I obviously wish you guys all the luck in the world. Um, I, uh, I appreciate you coming on here and, and explaining it. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having us. Okay, guys. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to uh, Jarrett and Corey for stopping by. Uh, I thought that was interesting. One thing I'm hearing from a lot of you is about putting the show on iTunes and Spotify and services like that. Podcast was created with the idea of being a subscriber benefit. So it's, it's behind the paywall. But people smarter than me are working on ways to improve the delivery. So anyway, thanks for giving us a chance with this. Major thanks, too, to Savannah Smith, who this week did 97.1% of the work. I can't tell you how grateful I am for all your time and interest here and for your support as a Kansas City Star subscriber. We are working every day to be worth your time and your money. If you have any suggestions for this show or anything else, please let me know. Okay, guys, talk to you next week.